1: This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listening to? Um, chart music. (laughs) Chart music. You pop-crazed youngsters, and welcome to the latest episode of Chart Music, the podcast that gets its hands right down the back of the settee on a random episode of Top of the Pops. I'm your host, Al Needham, and with me today are Simon Price Hello. and Sarah B. Ahoy! Panel! like a tramp in the night I am begging for you (laughs) to tell me all the pop and interesting things like you want to do.
0: I went to see uh, our good friends and incredible psychedelic electronic rock troupe Teeth of the Sea at our um, lovely local venue Walthamstow Trades Hall Um, and uh, I should say Sam who plays trumpet for the teeth um, as nobody calls them is a fully paid up long term devoted pop crazed youngster so. Oh bless shout out to you sam thank you sir <laughs> um and i successfully did not get covid for a fourth time yes but i did get the consolation prize of a cold for about six weeks oh, oh
1: shit you six week cold yeah
0: that's what you get now You know, this is like, you know, all of our immune systems are uh, (laughs) sort of... Things are different now, you know. Oh,
1: man, you want to be like John Travolta in The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, Sarah.
0: Yeah, 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 I do. Have
1: you ever seen that film? I was so fucking disappointed by it. It came on the telly after Saturday Night Fever in Greece, and I expected John Travolta to be bouncing around in a big fucking Zorb thing (laughs) to some disco music (laughs) with a quiff on and having a right old time. But no, he was in hospital for fucking ages, (sighs) and it was boring. That's
0: tedious isn't it
1: (laughs) for everyone concerned but
0: yeah i think we should normalize actually now that you know people will look askance at you if you have a mask on
1: masks now are like flares in 1981 (laughs) aren't
0: they about as useful and about as stylish yeah yeah, oh
1: i don't know though because i remember the tail end of covid and people were starting to go out on buses again i remember sitting on a bus and these two blokes got on and one of them had a mask on and printed on it in big white letters on a black mask was, will open for cock. (laughs) Well, And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I know this bus route and I know what time it is. It's when all the uh, old folks clubs start kicking out. (laughs) So I'm sat there kind of like on those seats that go along the side of the bus, Mm. just waiting for all these old women to come on to get their reactions. (laughs) And they just looked and just ignored him or just laughed or just nudged each other. And it was like, God, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> These women didn't give a fuck. Well, you know, they were young ones too. Nobody
2: got the cock out to test him at his word. <laughs> well, old grannies now would have been teenagers in the 60s. They've seen it all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah totally. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: feel like everyone has missed a trick with the whole kind of slogans on masks thing. Mm. It's a very easy way to uh, to say a thing, but you have to be prepared yeah. to be saying it after you've forgotten yeah. that on your face it says, you know, fuck the Tories or whatever. And, you know, then you go to the Tory party conference and it's really embarrassing. (laughs) Um, uh, Meanwhile, though, uh, exciting news for the perverse few who want to hear more of me saying things. uh, Our film and television podcast, Teledrome, rides again imminently. Oh, Oh, yeah. This time, uh, John Tatlock and I will be examining a classic of 80s horror cinema and its recent remake. And John will be annoyingly messing about with some sort of puzzle box that he's got. I mean I have told him that he's going to have to take it out in the edit cuz it's just this like you know he's really he's really preoccupied with it you know,
2: what, like a Rubik's a, Cube? Or, what is it?
0: <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, he's uh. like he's really preoccupied. He hasn't slept in days. He's just kind of sitting cross-legged in an empty room, just like, I'm a bit worried. Anyway, uh, Teledrome, wherever you get your podcast.
2: I saw John Tatlock the other night. Oh, really? Yeah, I was up in Manchester, had a drink with him, and uh, he didn't have a puzzle box on him then, unless he had it stashed somewhere that, you know, frankly, the sun
0: don't shine. I don't know. Maybe he's
2: solved it. Oh,
0: no. I think maybe we'd know about it if he'd solved Fair it. Fair enough.
2: Simon! If you're happy with a nappy, then you're in for fun. Uh, George Ooh. Michael once taunted Andrew Ridgeley, and yes. and I'm about to find out uh,
1: because ah.
2: we've got a baby on the way.
1: Ah. Good lord! Yeah,
2: well, the you the know, first chart music baby. Janie has a baby on the way. You know, I had only a small amount to do with it—about ten cc's worth. You know. Um,
0: so you're not going to be going around saying we're, of course, we're pregnant. <laughs>
1: Boy or girl? Uh, girl. Oh um, Yeah. Toya, <laughs> Pee Poo at work for either sex.
0: Yeah, that's it's true.
2: Yeah, yeah, the, the clans of uh, Price and Burns are about to gain a, a new generation. Um I Ooh. I'd assumed uh I was the end of the family line you know mm. um, and I, I'd made my peace with that uh, and I thought yeah. I would be seeing out my days in the company of my record collection just getting pissed on Havana Club all the time mm. so this is a big life change especially in my yeah, age uh, but I'm excited for it so you know there's that yeah it's a girl she's due in February um, as Ooh. for the name we're probably going with a Welsh name and right. we do have a front runner uh, which we're keeping under our hat the only proviso really is that it has to be pronounced by English people because she's oh, grown yeah. be up in Brighton <laughs> Dave. then <laughs> but um we we don't want to use the front runner name until she's actually born I don't know mm. if it's superstition or what, so in the meantime we've gone through this list of Welsh girls' names and picked the ugliest ones we can find <laughs> um, in the knowledge that that we're definitely not using them when it's for real God. so names mm. like Greek, which is spelt Grug, oh. right? or Bivig, which is spelt Budug, or Cranogwen, who sounds like a really yeah. angry, hatchet-faced old woman, I think, or mm. Bluddeoith, which is uh, a name for which even I, a Welshman, need to take a bit of a run-up. Uh, yeah. So, so we, we alternate between those when, when referring to her, in, in the certainty that, that she'll not be called that. So yeah, um, big change is about to happen around here. Good um, the other thing, of course is that my book is finally out there in the world. Your other
0: baby, yes.
2: My other baby, yeah, Curepedia, um, an A to Z of The Cure. Yes. The reviews have been really positive. Um, I've Mm. been travelling around on the sort of promo circuit, met loads of lovely people at spoken word events, book signings. The Cure's fan community have been incredibly supportive, and I was kind of quite nervous about that. You know. Yeah. And I wouldn't have blamed them if they took against it, but and it seems to be selling well. It's reached number one in some very niche charts. And and you'll know all about this sort of niche charting from chart music. But so for yes. example, um biographies of punk musicians uh music encyclopedias because it's an encyclopedia mm. um it fleetingly reached number four in the proper music book charts Ooh. it was never going to get any higher with britney spears and barbara streisand to Duh. contend with uh, my favorite is when it reached number 11 in amazon's religious history of christianity charts
1: <laughs> fucking hell
2: i mean I, I suppose there's a chapter on religion and there's a chapter on faith and the cure are a cult act so i'll i will I'll take it. Maybe they
1: thought it was about the curate.
2: Oh, yeah, of course. Mm, Um, Apparently, there's a boring uh, um, uh, answer to this, and it's that there is uh, another author called Simon Price who does write about religious history, and uh, Amazon's algorithms got it mangled. So, yeah, you know, um, two births, a book and a baby. And uh, uh, ask me in a year's time which one was the hardest, or ask Janie, anyway.
1: (laughs) a lot more sharp corners on your book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm going to say that. (laughs) I've actually got a copy of it somewhere. It's fucking gorgeous. They've done a nice job. I'm scared to turn the pages of it. I don't feel worthy.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping that... Because it is really nice. It's got this sort of matte texture. It's sort of red with this shiny black silhouette of Robert Smith laid over it and sort of silver writing. And um, I do think it's inevitably going to degrade if people carry it around with them and i'm hoping it'll be like public image limited's metal box that each mm. copy will become sort of individual in the way that it deteriorates you know would you mind if
1: i gave my copy away to one of the Polkraze patrons uh not at all Why's that you hate the cure basically <laughs> i just think they deserve it more than i so at some point after this episode has gone out i will be conducting a random draw and one of the pop crates patreon people will be getting my copper sometime in january but anyway. I am still reeling from the effects of that beautiful day in September when the pop Craze youngsters assembled for our live show at King's Place for the London Podcast Festival. Fucking hell, it was a proper day, wasn't it, Sarah?
0: Uh, yes, it was. Yes, it really was.
1: <laughs> Massive tar to them, King's Place, and especially the pop Craze youngsters who turned up and said hello to us afterwards and bought us drinks and all sorts. There was actually a couple there who were In their mid-twenties. I couldn't believe it. Actual Gen Z. Yes, I got down on my knees in the pub afterwards and genuflected Ah. towards them, man. (laughs) We're reaching that audience, man. We're doing it. We're getting down with the kids. Yeah, literally. Yeah, we are (laughs)
2: genuflections.
1: Yes. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, and a special thanks to all the pop craze youngsters who booked our live stream, which I managed to have a look at afterwards. It was fucking mint. And it gave me the ideal opportunity to see how much I'm turning into Mr. Rumbold as the years roll on. Oh, fucking hell, man. I've got a face for podcasts and a voice for newsprint.
2: You're being harsh on yourself, there.
1: Uh, no, it's it's all true. I got
0: away with it this time because I was uh, I, I was just in the audience and uh, I got to yes. I got to politely heckle and uh, do a little a little royal wave, mm. and uh, <laughs> that was my contribution.
1: A splendid day, and yeah, I'm starting to get a feel for these live shows now. I'm not I'm not so stressed about them. Your turn next, Simon. That'd be nice, mm. and it might be sooner than you think. Mm. Mm. Hit the fucking music. <laughs> All pop-crazed youngsters, you asked for it. We were offered it, so we said, "All right, then, fuck it, why not?" Saturday, January the thirteenth, two thousand and twenty-four, Birmingham Town Hall, Chart Music Live all day. Yes, pop craze youngsters, Chop Music is getting on down to Benny Tan with the power trio of Simon Price, Neil Kulkarni and Al Needham for a fourth day of Chop Music Ramble. We commence with the return of Here Comes quizm the Chop Music Pump Quiz. And then, a three-hour live episode of Chop Music. And then... We round off the evening with a Chop Music Disco where we dance the night away to the white-hot sounds of Joy, Sarney and Two Man Sound. It do be the complete Chop Music experience, Miss Diane, and can be yours for a mere £15. Pound. So, see that internet, mashoutbit.ly slash cm24, that's bit.ly slash cm24, lay your money down, and be prepared to be pop crazed all day long in beautiful downtown Birmingham. Hey, Piss we're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes you heard right pop craze youngsters jesus and buzz are making themselves available to their public in a few weeks time and as you listen to this i can tell you that i have done precisely fuck all in the way of notes so i need to get me thumb out my ass and get on with it because the pop craze youngsters techno when it comes to the live shows if you can't be asked to listen back for that bitly link just go to bmusic.co.uk that's bmusic.co.uk and put in a search for chart music the other bit of news is that we've started a new bonus strand exclusively for the Pop Craze Patreons called Hit the Fucking Play Button. Very simple premise, Pop Craze Youngsters. We take one music video that was never shown on Top of the Pops, which means that we're never going to be able to talk about it properly on chart music, and we pull it to Absolute bits. Mm. There's two episodes up already, and the third one's already in the bag, and will be out in a few weeks' time. And chaps, you've already had a dig at these, and it's been a proper good dos, hasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. Like if if people think that that we sort of deep dive top of the pops episodes a bit too kind of nerdishly, then just wait till you hear this shit. Man.
1: Oh, <laughs> voyage to the fucking earth's core, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's good to be able to cover songs that we're never going to do on a regular episode of Chart Music, so. Yeah, it's fucking mint, mate. The goal is to get one out once a month, so, you know, that's going to be an extra hour or so uh, to mix into your pop craze diet. So if you want... All of that, plus the audio of our live show, and all the other benefits of being a Pop Craze Patreon, it is time to get some money down this G-string right here and let us shush, shush, shake that ass just for you. And speaking of the Pop Craze Patreons, here is the latest roll call of the lovely people who have put a jingle in our G-string of late. In the $3 section, we have Paul Locker. Lucy Moore, Paul Gavin Chaplin, Mike Davis, Nicole Smith, 72 Heaven, Jonathan Hewitt, Hazel Sidesurf, Nick Reed, Hez, Ray Blake, Titus Cotton, Grassy Knoll, John Broadley. Andy Nyko, Russell Horton, and Dan Dummer. Thank you, babies.
2: Thank you, lovelies. I suspect some of those aren't their real names, you know.
1: <laughs> and in the $5 section, we have Neve Conroy, Adam Pearce, Stewart, Tim Ward, Petrus Gyra, Michael Avery. Jim Parker, Mayor of Fish God, Kenny Twat, <laughs> <laughs> Russell, James Glover, Kieran Gaynor, Dermot Fitzsimmons, Dr. Craig, James Jimbo Bradley, Chris Kyle, Brian Cairns, Carlos the Jackal, Claire Udi, Aidan DW, Briefly P, Noza the Knob, Anna Dominoes, Laurie Powell, Andrew Whiters, Andy Hall, Mark Smith, and Carl, fucking hell, we love you. you. Come here, give me a fucking (laughs) hug, you lovely bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh! Uh, Stuart Metcalf and Doug Grant jacked it right up and so they get a very special arse rub on their trousers this Christmas time. Well done. Oh, uh, by the way, happy birthday, Akashamira, and I'm sorry I missed it. Fuck's sake, man. I'm turning into cunt in Stew Pot nowadays, man. I can't (laughs) have this. Anyway. But you've got better breath, Al. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, as well as all that lovely new bonus content and getting episodes in full without any advert ramble. The pop craze patriots get to tinker in a tanker with the brand new chop music top 10. Shall we? Yeah. Shall we? Go on Hit the fucking music! <laughs> We've said goodbye to Bjorn Bingerbonger, Toto Coelho Ultras and Ian Interesting, which means four up, two down, one non-mover and three new entries. New entry at number 10, the Quincy Punks. Straight in at number nine, benefits cheap Paul Diano. Up one place from number nine to number eight, the Birmingham Pistrol. Yes, yes. Another one place jump from number eight to number seven, for here comes Chisholm. But down one place from number five to number six is Eric Smallshaw of Eccles. Into the top five, and it's a one-place jump from six to five for Bummer Dog. Down two places from number two to number four, the provisional Uaruare. Up four places from number seven to number three, the bent cunts who aren't fucking real. Yes. This week's highest new entry crashes into the chart at number two, Festival of Sperm, which <laughs> means... Britain's number one! It's still there at the very summit of Mount Pop, Ghost Face Silla! <laughs> oh, what a sharp me dis. Fucking hell. All the classics. Mm.
2: Festival of Sperm is going to be really baffling to anybody who isn't listening to hit the fucking play button, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Shall we tell them, Simon? <laughs> uh, go on. Explain, Simon, Festival of Sperm. Well,
2: as I understand it, uh, from my good showbiz friend, Martin Degville, uh, it was, yes, it was a working name for Zeke Zeke Sputnik before yes. they were Zeke, Zeke Sputnik.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, this week's new entries then. The Quincy punks i think pretty obvious what they're all about you know they've got them skinny ties and shirts tucked into jeans and wacky sunglasses you know and capering about in a manner that david disapproves of yeah it's good charlotte
2: yeah. basically yeah. Mm.
1: benefits cheap paul diano and fairly self explanatory but yeah festival of sperm i hear that name and what immediately comes to my mind is erotic Morris dancing. <laughs> well, I mean, it
2: is all about fertility rites, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Just bringing it into our century. So mm. I think Festival of Sperm, they're like Enigma, but with a bit less monk chant and a lot more accordion. Yeah. And they come out on stage and they clack double-ended dildos together and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, it's here really comes jism. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so anyway, Pop Craze Youngsters, if you want in on all the excitement that being a Pop Craze Patreon brings into your world, remember, keyboard, patreon.com slash chart music, money, g-string. <laughs> so... This episode, Pop Craze Youngsters, takes us all the way back to March the 4th, 1993. Which is very much, to my mind, the 90s that nobody really cares about, isn't it? You know, we're post-rave, pre-Britpop, post-optimism, pre-cokey arrogance. The 90s are done. We've got as far away from the 80s as humanly possible, but we don't yet know what the 90s are going to be. So, me dears, if I were to say to you, the music of 1993, what's immediately coming out of those lovely mouths of yours?
0: Um, some unholy soup of uh, grunge Eurodance and take that, I think.
2: Mm. I was going to say Peruvian knitwear hat. Oh. Basically spin doctors. If yeah. you wanna oh, call me oh. baby, just go ahead now. Uh, oh. Just you know uh, I've I've completely fucked all the pop crazy youngsters' heads now with a mother of all earworms. <laughs> um, it what, it? what that symbolises yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stop now. <laughs> what what that uh, what that symbolizes is that grunge and American alternative music in the broadest sense had sort of curdled and the dregs were now being scraped Mm. from the barrel. But yeah, like you say, uh, Britain hadn't yet stepped up with enough to replace it. You had Suede and the Mannix and Saint-Etienne and Pulp, but nobody was using the B word yet, mm-hmm. um, of course. But
1: yeah, that Well, there they were... were. I mean, the, like punk and disco, Britpop was being used in the music papers years before the event. Sort of with a
0: small B, I guess.
1: No, because it's British, so it'd be a capital B.
0: Yeah, I know...
1: I know what you mean, <laughs> well, sir. I'm just fucking
2: with you. <laughs> I don't know. You, you had all these sort of tangents that the very best bits of which were enjoyable so you had funk metal or rap metal that hadn't yet become horrible new metal Mm -hmm. so you know you had things like rage against the machine you had kind of i guess the aftermath of rave so bands like the shaman were massive Mm -hmm. and they were kind of irritating but fun at the same time Mm and g-funk hadn't quite happened yet but cypress hill were there and Mm -hmm. you know they were pretty good and yes you could sort of take a bit of a pick and mix while not Thinking that there's any one thing that's completely defining the era yet. Yeah.
0: yeah yeah it is it is a bit of a liminal year isn't it um, I think mm. there's also there's already a certain weariness about it like everyone's already knackered you know even though it's only it's yeah. it's sort of an early mid year in that way but uh, yeah. yeah in terms of the charts it's like shat on by Shaggy shoveled up by Blobby <laughs> people are tired the, you know the recession's dragging on and you know and it, it is like careful what you wish for really because Britpop is coming down the tracks like a runaway train with a single eyebrow um, mm. I, I, in the full awareness that trains don't actually have eyebrows in general yeah. oh, thomas a tank engine probably yes. oh, like yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah oh god oh yeah the
1: eldritch horror of <laughs> <laughs> liam the tank engine <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so rave obviously on its way out very much um the Prodigy's first album only came out last year mm. <laughs> they're not considered britpop but they're sort of almost on the edge of it because the fat of the land a few years later was Immense. Mm. There's quite a neat delineation, really, when it comes to dance music. The uh, Castle Morton Common week-long rave happened last year, um, Mm -hmm. which uh, some people consider precipitated, almost single-handedly precipitated the Criminal Justice Bill. And that starts to mark the beginning of the end of uh, the rave culture that started in 88. Mm. In fact, so the Criminal Justice Bill this year was making its way through Parliament with its new rave clause and um, the Ministry of Sound... Repetitive
2: beats and all that Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. The Ministry of Sound projected their logo onto Parliament not to protest the bill but to promote their very first compilation so (laughs) that really establishes the corporate evolution of the bootleg rave tape that had been massive up until now Mm. It was the end of the free party era and the start of the super club era so the succession of repetitive beats Mm. and you could still go mental in a huge crowd of people but it would cost you at this point. Mm.
1: One word that constantly sprung to mind when I was researching this era malaise the country's in recession record sales have dipped for the first time in 12 years and the music scene is in a state of absolute flux. Bag is collapsed in on itself even though the NME is still waiting for the Stone Roses to come back and make everything right again factory records has gone bust and the youth of Britain are either pretending to be American tramps who have been loaded into a cannon and fired through a branch of millets or following the <laughs> clarion call of assorted Ian Beals in hyper t-shirts, who hunch over computers in their bedrooms and make their youngsters take drugs and surrender to machine loops that isn't real music at all. (laughs) Here's an article I found in The Guardian from the year before Chaps, which kind of lays out the state of music at this time from a, a certain point of view. Yeah. With the soulless machine beat of techno music and its leap from the underground rave scene to mainstream chart success, the science fiction nightmare is in sight. Computers are taking over from creativity. A musicianship is slowly being replaced by the dismal donkey work of the computer programmer. Although not quite the fifth horseman of the apocalypse, music technology may yet undermine a music industry that has traditionally made money out of good playing and songwriting techno dispensers with Both, and is currently the hottest force in the record shops. Bands like Alternate, SL2 and 2 Unlimited sell singles in quantities real musicians dream of by making music so lacking in human qualities that it is difficult to imagine soft flesh ever having anything to do with its creation. In fact, it is all done with drum machines, sequencers and samplers, scavenging among other people's ideas and revelling in banality and repetition. Faceless and personality-free, techno embodies few of the traditional rock inspirations like sex, egomania and sedition. Instead, it is all about money. No musical rebellion has ever started out so mercenary or been so instantly profitable. Given the technology and ability to play a three-fingered chord on a synth, you can bash out a top ten single ready for pressing in a day. Yeah, you just push a button and on a ragged tip comes out. <laughs> it's AI all over again, isn't it?
2: Yeah, exactly. And it's this kind of conflation and elision that's going on of things that are not the same. So basically, it's written from that point of view that it's good music has to be music that is handcrafted, mm. whereas artisan. I believe strongly that pop is an entirely user-end art form, mm. but it's all about how you experience it, and yeah. if it causes exhilaration or any other emotion in, in the listener, that's what matters. Mm. I couldn't give a fuck if somebody presses a button and out it pops, or if they've ripped their fingertips to pieces learning how to play the guitar. Mm. Good for them if they have. You know, I'm not slagging that off either. But I, I spent a lot of lot of time in this era arguing with people like this, mm. and constant battle, particularly on the Melody Maker letters page. Mm. This could be a bad letter to backlash, quite honestly. Yeah,
0: it's a bit like lab grown diamonds that you get now, <laughs> that are exactly the same as the ones that are mined out of the ground by small children but uh you know there are people who will still insist mm. that suffering has to happen before you can have beauty it's like I, mm. I don't think that's true
1: i mean when i read this article it just reminded me so much of the mither and the Wicklin. that's being punted out over AI.
0: Yeah, but AI is bad, though. Yeah, well,
1: (laughs) depends how you use it, isn't it? I mean, there's been interviews with people like Chuck D saying, yeah, there is going to be a lot of shit that's going to come out of it, but there's going to be other people like us back in the 80s and sampling that's going to find a way to make it work and make it sound brilliant and do stuff that you couldn't do before.
0: You think we're skint now? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
2: Yeah, I I heard that Chuck D interview and it sort of gave me a bit of optimism. He was saying that in the early days of sampling, a lot of what came out was really unimaginative it was just one track or one loop over and over and over but Mm. you know he said that People like, I guess, the Bomb Squad and Terminator X, and you'd also have to credit Eric B, mm. managed to kind of... Well, he used the term to freak it. Chuck D said, we figured out how to freak it. Mm. And I think that's basically what's going to happen with AI. Yeah. To begin with, um, it's, it's going to be endless people saying, you know, let's make a Beatles song. Uh, not least, the Beatles themselves. Um, mm. But, yes. you know, I, I think... And hope we're going to get past that phase and people will figure out a way of making genuinely freaky, amazing music.
0: I hope so too. I, I'm slightly more pessimistic. It's like I thought it was going to make everything else easier for us so that we could be free to make art. And uh, I think it's going to be the other way
1: around. Yeah, as writers, we were the ones they came for first. But, you know, the thing is, I've spent years of my life researching stuff off the internet and ended up reading other people's shitty writing that was so fucking awful it might as well have been done by ai yeah yeah, yeah. at least ai wouldn't write without any further ado
2: (laughs) there is a certain kind of uncanny valley effect that you get even when just reading ai generated prose and i think and maybe i'm flattering myself but i think i can tell the difference Mm. you know that there is something just unsettling and slightly queasy and sickening when you're Mm. reading something that wasn't done by a human brain. I think it's possibly already at the stage that it can generate just sort of copy that could sort of describe a washing machine or something like that. Mm. But in terms of actual writing about ideas and thoughts, I don't think it's quite there yet. Mm. I actually think it's become the lowest form of wit as well, when people just have some idea, what would it look like if evan dando went water skiing and you know they'll just and then it, you'll get a picture of it and it's yeah. like oh look at this and it's like, oh, okay mm. uh, i've got to admit sometimes it's it's fooled me i think i i got pranked oh yes the other day there was this thing doing the rounds that was meant to be rick james's house in 1979 yes. and it looks fucking amazing kind of sci-fi mm. meets superfly this place that, that he supposedly lived in. Mm. I now think it's too good to be true, and it's probably AI. The, the jury's still out on that, I think. But mm. um, it's just, you know, there's this crestfallen feeling you get of, oh, for fuck's sake, is that all it was? Yeah. Well, I want to see these amazing, luxurious rock star palaces from the 70s, but I want yeah. to see them for real. I don't want to see... Yeah, you want the truth. Yeah, yeah. That surprises me about myself. I never thought of myself as someone who craves authenticity, but maybe my limit has been found, and maybe I fucking
1: do. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, going back to the article, you read this kind of stuff, uh, uh, which was not uncommon in the media around about this time, and you start to realise why the court- corporate whores of the music biz were on their backs with their legs wide open, baying <laughs> for Shed 7 to show them just how dangerous music can be. And smelly. There's this is absolute craving for a band or some bands to come along and just take this decade by the scruff of the neck. People want a Beatles, man.
2: Well, if only a band was going to take the decade by the scruff of the neck in this very episode of Top of the Pops. If only. Foreshadow, foreshadow. Mm.
1: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Onward, Radio One news. in the news. A car bomb has been detonated in the underground car park of the World Trade Centre with the intention of crashing the North Tower into the South One and bringing both down. And although both buildings remain intact, six people are killed and over a thousand are injured. The Serbian Liberation Front immediately claimed responsibility, but it turns out to be the work of Ramzi Yousef and his mates in the Liberation Army, a spin-off of Al Qaeda. Six people are arrested in a Liverpool court for bricking in a police van containing Robert Thompson and John Venables, while the BBC announced plans to broadcast the funeral of James Bulger live on the BBC One show Good Morning with Ann and Nick. Christ. I don't think that happened in the end. <sighs> (sighs) Thank fuck. An estimated 50. 15 people are shot dead in a standoff between the Branch Davidian compound in Waco, Texas and it's revealed that 25 of the people still inside are British, some from Nottingham. What? Have I mentioned this that David Koresh used to live in St. Anne's near where my granny used to live? No way. Yeah, yeah, just about five minutes walk from where I'm sitting now. David Koresh lived there in the mid to late 80s. <laughs> I know someone used to be a landlord of the pub I did a pub quiz at and he was living in St. Anne's at the time and every now and again he'd get a fucking knock on his door he opened it up there's fucking david koresh banging on about jesus again it's insane isn't it
2: this is like when um, osama bin laden was standing on the clock end at highbury it's one of those
1: things that doesn't seem to i know uh...
0: it's like it's been generated by ai or something
1: (laughs) tony bland becomes the 96 victim of the hillsborough disaster justice for them. The US Air Force have started to airlift relief supplies into Bosnia for the benefit of Muslim refugees, including ration packs which contain pork. No special consideration has been made for that, said a USAF spokesperson, but it is easy to recognise, and they can always throw it away. (laughs) Cast members of Coronation Street are threatening to quit the soap for good if Granada TV end up selling the broadcast rights to B sky b granada who claims that the program generates over a hundred million pound a year in advertising revenue for the itv network wants to double their price from 40 grand to 80 grand per episode and if they can't get that from itv they're threatening to take it to murdoch Members of the cast are famous for their charity work and caring attitude to the less fortunate, said a Granada insider. Most of them are desperately concerned about the effect a possible sale could have on pensioners and other lonely people. They regard street characters as their friends and can't afford a satellite dish. Fucking hell, that would be the end of the world if Coronation Street moved to satellite. Yeah. Tory rent gob Jeffrey Dickens has blasted ITV for screening an HIV-positive vicar kissing his dying boyfriend on a documentary this very evening. What are children to make of all this, he said? It will encourage some of them to dabble in homosexual activities, <laughs> he said of the documentary series 3D vickers should act responsibly in public if you can't trust your vicar who can you trust (laughs) gotta say if i was 14 and i saw a vicar snogging another man i'd think very seriously about having a dabble (laughs) john hendry of e17 currently at number 10 in the charts with deep and his mate have been attacked by five thugs with iron bars in walthamstow after the latter chatted up one of their girlfriends After going to hospital to have 12 stitches in his head, he said, I can't understand why people do things like that. If they think they're being real men, they're very much mistaken. Bruce Dickinson has announced that he's leaving Iron Maiden, but will stay on until August to do a farewell tour and ring a live LP out of it. But the big news this week is that the IRA have targeted Mr Blobber. After leaving a bomb in a bin outside Athena in Camden which injured 14 people, a threat of another bomb at Television Centre was issued, forcing the BBC to cancel its live episode of Noel's House Party and replace it with a repeat of the 1992 version of Noel's Christmas Presents and a repeat of the greatest episode of Tom and Jerry ever, Zoot Cat, where Tom falls for a Bobby Soxer and makes his own Zoot suit out of a deck chair and a only to be comprehensively cocked Blocked by Jerry, who ends up dancing with her, and presumably having a relationship. <laughs> fucking hell, what a cunt of a mouse Jerry was. Yeah,
0: what a little fucker.
1: And the IRA, they not just there for the nasty things in life. <laughs> get rid of Noel Edmonds for an evening, sort of.
2: To be fair, the IRA only threatened to kill somebody on Noel Edmonds's primetime TV show. <laughs> Noel succeeded.
1: Yes. You know, so. <sighs> what a fucking grim time 1993 is.
2: Jesus. Yeah. There was just this sense of, what's the fucking point? I mean, the Tories had won the election the previous year. Um, you know, there was this flurry of optimism that Kinnock was going to get in. Mm. A flurry to which, sadly, Kinnock himself was only too prone. Well, all right!
1: Yeah. All right! Yes. All that.
2: Yeah. You know, but yeah, when, when that failed, it was like, a, oh God, we've got another five years of the fucking Tories. Yeah, It's not surprising that a lot of people just sort of turned inwards and just yeah. couldn't face politics anymore for a while.
1: On the cover of Melody Maker this week, Pearl Jam. On the cover of Smash Hits, E17. The number one LP in the country at the moment is Diva by Annie Lennox. And over in America, the number one single is A Whole New World by Peebo Bryson and Regina Bell. And the number one LP is the soundtrack to The Bodyguard by Whitney Houston. So, me dears, what were we doing in April of 1993?
0: I was just about to turn 15. Things were not going to improve significantly from being 14. Uh, no. It sucked. I, I survived like you do. Um, but it was a hideous, roiling cauldron of being bad at netball and
1: hockey. Oh, Sarah. <laughs> That's the chart music netball team gone for an absolute toss. It was the
0: knickers, though. The, the gym knickers, the Navy oh. gym knickers that were the ultimate humiliation, although not as uncomfortable as the socks. Really? Yeah, like the Navy kind of like knee socks that you had to wear. And they were so no. scratchy. Like, I don't really understand why it had to be this way. There's loads of ways to exercise why did it have to all be about you know the the kind of social death of of competitive sport it yeah. sucked
2: <laughs> while wearing knickers was set blatter in charge of this <laughs> <laughs> do you remember he said that women's football would be more popular if they all just played wearing knickers or something i mean <laughs> jesus tighty shorts
1: that were practically knickers yeah yeah let's be honest well
0: we did have little you know sort of uh, sort of little tiny skirts Uh, We were allowed to, you know, to uh, preserve what remained of our dignity. But, Mm. uh, you know, yeah. And it always rained. This is the thing. (laughs) It was like, it it was always, especially when it was hockey. So you were just like up to your neck in filth and uh, humiliation. But other than that, everything was great.
2: (laughs) I played hockey at one school that I went to. It was fucking terrifying. Oh, yeah. yeah. Probably the scariest sport I've ever played. Jesus.
1: We played yeah. at our school every now and again. Yeah. Let's give all the fucking head cases in the school a, a big wooden stick to wave about. <laughs> that's
2: a great idea. And when you see what the goalkeepers have to wear, these massive fucking samurai outfits yeah. and all the padding. They're
1: absolutely fucking funked. Yeah. yeah,
2: and you realise that's there for a reason. There's a reason why you have to like have all that crap. Yeah, yeah man. Never again.
1: Mm. Music-wise, Sarah, what are you to?
0: Well, here's the thing. Um, so, uh, I had a little bit of a personal revelation at the recent uh, triumphant chart music live show. Mm. Having been on this podcast for seven years now, as, as we uh, as we all have seven years, I know, and having you know done the uh, so hey, what were you listening to at this time thing, and racking my brains and uh, just going, oh yeah. I am actually the chart music girl of, uh, of the intro. Because um, you don't get the full effect from the audio. You need to see her face and Chris Needham's yes.
1: face. When we do a live show, we open it up with a clip of the opening bit of audio where Chris Needham says so what what kind of music are you into
2: yeah
1: uh, the girl says chart music yeah. yeah and you always get this gasp of recognition when that comes on yeah
0: yeah yeah which is which is wonderful and I don't want to um, you know she clearly a person in her own right and I hope she's doing great but mm. uh, you know she isn't the one there is a giggle which is yeah. actually her friend who yes. is uh, who is a little bit embarrassed, like, oh, you've been put on the spot. And she doesn't actually, she looks like she's taking the question seriously and then kind of finds it tiresome that she's even been asked and says, chart music, like, Mm. why are you even asking
1: what, what do you yeah. think what
0: do you think I'm into like, yeah.
1: and she's the most attractive girl sat on that bench as well he, Chris has obviously gone for her first uh, yes he, he asks this other girl what they think of heavy metal music yes this girl goes oh say it's brilliant Nicole and she goes it's brilliant <laughs> really taking the piss it's
0: such a teenage thing like you know you're as soon as mm. you're asked anything by, by someone you know who's, who's older than you and it's like oh you've got to, oh, to make sure you say the right thing and the chart music mm. girl doesn't actually care to say no. the right thing so i i, no, t- she I take inspiration from her she-
1: hang on a minute if you're the child music girl that means all the rest of us are chris needham i'm
0: afraid it does well,
1: can we deny it yeah <laughs> strutting up to you with our musical knowledge hoisted over our shoulder and banging against our head that's a bit scary eh?
0: um yeah so i was um <laughs> grudgingly appreciative of take right. that so my best friend was was a huge fan
1: who was her favorite uh jason oh yeah yeah
0: jason orange mm. i think she changed. Well, I think that has, but history has proven her right on that one.
1: Wasn't he the nearest one there was in Take That to a Bad Boy before Robbie started acting the cunt? I don't know,
0: does Howard count as the bad boy now? or just the wrong boy yeah. um, <laughs> Jason was just ever so nice and uh, and she met him and he was just absolutely lovely oh. so you know but you know that um, as I'm sure I have related probably more than once they played at my school yes I always have to mention that that was quite surreal and brilliant um, and I thought Prey was a banger mm. so you know and I stand by that um, I was very into uh, predictably enough Janet Jackson's latest self-titled album the one with the mm. man bra <laughs> on the cover I like to think that She just went around that entire year with her undone jeans, topless, with the man walking around behind her, just covering her boobs and just giving them a little uplift.
2: That's a job you don't see advertised down the job centre, isn't it? No.
0: no. (laughs) Well, you know, AI is going to just take care of that in the future. Yeah, Yeah.
1: for everyone, I hope. I'd like a robot cupping my breasts as I was going about my business.
0: Yeah, um, that's The Way Love Goes, which was the the Mm. massive single of that. It's still the smoothest substance to ever enter the human ear Mm. and sort of into all of its cockles, you know. And Duran Duran put out their self-titled album Ordinary World is the one Duran Duran song that even people who hate Duran Duran understand to be great. But this is definitely, this is one of those years for me where uh, 90% of the music will give me just an overpowering pang Mm. because it's all steeped in the kind of histrionic moonshine of the adolescent experience Mm. you know any spark of anything from ream on down will just make my memory go (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) (laughs)
2: simon I was 25, and I was writing for Melody Maker. Mm. Um, I was um, a bit of a rising star by this point, I suppose. Quite well established. I was doing a lot of reviews and features. And also, I was running the arts and media section, which was called Preview, where uh, I would write about films, comics, TV, games, anything that wasn't music, basically. Which was quite good for freebies. Mm, I'll say. I remember getting a suede waistcoat to promote Clint Eastwood's The Unforgiven. Right. And, uh, and, and a, um, a, a coffin-shaped box set of Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. So that then became oh, yes. Simon Price's Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula <laughs> uh, when, when I owned
1: it. This Clint Eastwood waistcoat. Mm. what did it have on it? Because, you know, you, you do get freebies, but more often than not, they're plastered with a logo of something that's going to go massively out of date in a month or two. Yeah,
2: I mean, it did have the words, the unforgiven, embroidered uh, on the breast pocket. So uh, oh. I could only I, I could wear it underneath a jacket, but yeah, yeah. it's basically completely useless.
0: And that's what pins are for. Yeah,
2: that's what is what badges are for, patches or something. I should have thought about that, but yeah, <laughs> I was in a bedsit on the top floor of a side street in Tufnell Park slash Holloway, uh, which was so tiny I could reach everything I owned from my bed. You know, yeah, yeah. like Mr. Tickle. No, I didn't even need to be Mr. Tickle. I could be a Tyrannosaurus Rex with tiny little arms. <laughs> this included the. Rickety, leaning tower of Pisa-like wooden habitat shelves with my records on. Um, the Allen screws always threatening to give way and cause a vinyl avalanche. Yeah, I'm sure you remember that mm. before IKEA was on the scene. You know, this is what yeah. you had to make do with.
0: I had to go to MFI.
2: Yeah. <laughs> as, oh oh Jesus! The plaster of Paris skulls and magical oh. incense burners, which uh, <laughs> I, I bought from Mysteries of Covent Garden when I was going through an embarrassingly late in life occultist phase no um i cringe when i think back on that did you have tarot cards all that yes i did al i had all that shit I, <laughs> I, I i'm really about i was 25 man it's too late in life to to be doing that shameful i pride myself on being very rational you know
1: yeah there were loads of people i knew round about this time who went through a tarot phase because they're all fucking hippies but i had one mate who i'm not going to name here and he claimed to be able to read futures with just a pack of playing cards what he had to do first of all though was take a reading of your aura before he touched the pack and did a reading and luckily for someone like me it was dead easy all he had to do was put his palm like millimeters away from mine but for some reason and you're not going to believe this that never worked with women's palms so he had to do a full body aura reading for that. For fuck's sake. And yeah, right. I've seen him do that. And yeah, it was the most shameful thing I've seen in my life. And it <laughs> never worked. Shame on you. You know who you are. I
2: once played a game of poker with tarot cards. I got a full house. Everyone died. <laughs> That's a Stephen Wright joke. Uh, you know, oh, but, hang
0: on. Yeah. Uh, I, can do, um, I can do a pretty good Stephen Wright. Hang on. Um, I once played a game of poker with tarot cards. I got a full house. Everyone died.
1: Yes. <laughs> so anyway, there you were, Simon, dancing, laughing, drinking, and loving um, in bed sit lunch. There
2: was all that occultist stuff. I had the uh, Macintosh computer that I spoke about in another episode, which used to belong to Michael Grade, and on which I got so obsessed with playing lemmings <gasps> that I'd often stay in and finish a game rather than go out and have a life and go to gigs and parties oh, and stuff mate. that I'd been invited to. So I'd just sit in there like, you know, late at night. Like, oh no <laughs> <You know>.
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: yeah
2: yeah, fucking. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. good when
0: you, when you take your eye off the ball and then you'd realize that somewhere they were falling the off the edge there's yeah. a cliff that you're like oh no that's a very a, yeah. stressful. Game.
2: oh god you've been there too and the building in which i was living was mildly infested with what i can only describe as brown fish what <laughs> They looked like silverfish, but they were actually brown Ugh. I think they were cockroaches No, they, they had that sort of tapered shape They were small, and they were basically silverfish yeah. But brown ones And
0: Maybe they were really old silverfish <laughs> That like got yeah. tarnished <laughs>
2: Well, it should be the other way round, that like the, they start off brown and then go silver with age, as, as we do. I don't know. Yeah. But it was pretty Ooh. horrible. And, uh, it, it was all I could afford at the time. I, I remember, um, inviting Luke Haynes from the auteurs there so I could interview right. him. And, and, uh, I was embarrassed <laughs> that a pop star, e- even a fairly minor one, um, was getting to see exactly how poorly paid we music journalists were. Mm. Um, I, I had a small number, of extravagances that I could treat myself to that I could afford, right? When I wanted a taxi, I had the number of this chauffeur or chauffeurs, I suppose I should say, because she was a lady limousine driver, um wearing a uniform and a cap. Um No. Yes, and she would pick me up and ferry me around town for only slightly more than a cab fare wow. because I think most of her chauffing work was done in the daytime and right. from her point of view, she might as well make a few extra quid in the evenings, I suppose. Mm. And from my point of view, I think she only lived around the corner. So I knew that if I couldn't get a taxi, it was, you know, that there it was. And I, I would turn up in style in a, in a fancy car. Fucking uh, hell. Yeah. Like so, an
1: inverted th- Lady Penelope and Parker.
2: Yeah. And I didn't even uh, do that thing that the Pink Panther did of, you know, give her a, a coin, but it's on a piece of string. and it sort it. Of no. Out, uh, <laughs> I'd also bought myself a proper leather biker jacket and I'd painted the Sheep on Drugs logo on the back, right? Because right. Sheep on Drugs were fucking... Awesome, and I didn't want to have one of the three most common goth insignia on my jacket, which were Sisters of Mercy, Bauhaus, or Einsteinsende Neubauten. Okay, Mm. so sheep on drugs, it was even though doing the the detail if you can imagine this doing the detail on the syringe with a fine brush with acrylic paint really wasn't easy, but just just about got away with it oh yeah
1: oh i'd be did terrified to do that man
2: yeah yeah on a fucking quite expensive jacket
1: even if it was just
2: a fucking jam logo yeah yeah i did it i got away with it got away with it um the other extravagance was my hair mm. all men can identify with this something happens around the age of 23 where men start nervously glancing up at each other's hairlines like yeah. is he going or is he just me yeah. well
1: is he or isn't he yeah yeah yeah
2: well i was going um, which seemed oh. exceptionally cruel, but not unexpected when I looked at the male members of my family. But mm. I managed to long it out for a bit longer by throwing money at it. Right. Not by wearing a wig, but getting extensions, right? I, I went right. to this uh, this quite famous alternative hair salon in Kensington called Antenna, and right. uh, they gave me this massive mane of synthetic dreadlocks, which I wore with um, an Axl Rose-style bandana.
1: <laughs> and Hulk Hogan.
2: Uh, yeah right yeah um a white man in dreads might be accused of cultural appropriation but that wasn't what i was aiming for my vibe was more this kind of hybrid glam rock industrial cyberpunk kind of th- vibe i was going for
1: He was losing his hair yeah,
2: yeah well yeah but i got to say look cool as fuck so basically yeah mm. living in a shitty bedsit but leather jacket limousine nice hair that was it.
0: That must have left amazing marks on your face. Uh, you slept on your side, you know. Yeah, well, also... Like, um, just have amazing cheek tattoos in the morning. Mm.
2: I put these little metal beads in the dreads as well, so if I was at a nightclub swishing them about, they would whip me in the face with quite some force.
1: <laughs> like Bob Marley.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I sort of rattle when I'm walking down the streets. It's like a sort of abacus. If, if I didn't place the beads in just the right place, yeah, it would be quite noisy.
1: <laughs> no, you were right to do all that kind of shit. One of the biggest regrets of my life was I didn't do more mad shit. Shit with my hair. Well, that's it, you know. And you know, if there are any youngsters listening to this, any actual youngsters, I know it's a long shot, <laughs> but if you are in your twenties, just do all the maddest shit with your hair that you can. Yeah,
2: yeah. Absolutely. I just took one look at my dad when I was about sixteen, and I thought, "Fuck this! If that's my future, I'm going to have every mad hairstyle I can have." So I did. Yeah. I continued.
0: That extends to a lot of a lot of other things about your appearances, like the Nora Ephron quote about, like, "If I'd known." Mm. If if I had known, when I, look, I look back at the pictures of me in my 20s, and if I'd only known, I would just have worn a bikini the entire <laughs> time.
1: Well, I'm living in a tiny flat on the top floor in Isle with me my girlfriend, just across the road from the gym that Lady Di used to go to first thing in the morning. Right. Yeah, you know the one where the owner ended up taking secret gusset shots of her a few That's months later? Right. It was all over the papers, yeah. I never saw her. She could have always come in for a cup of tea or something. Well, no, not tea. <laughs> I didn't drink it she could have a black coffee I'm in the final months of university and by this time absolutely gagging to get the fuck out of it uh. and plunge into the real world I've already decided what I'm going to do I'm going to be a magazine writer and I don't give a fuck what magazine it's going to be
2: so in order to 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 see your future. You you peered in through a, a drinking straw into a cup of coke and
0: it's got porn in it. Yes.
1: <laughs> hey, communicating through porn. <laughs> a drinking
0: straw in the shape of a cock.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Music-wise, well, I- I'm in a proper relationship for the first time ever, so mm. you can't really nestle with your paramour to back the fuck up by Onyx or <laughs> gangster Bitch by Apache, so I've stepped away from hip-hop a little bit. Right. And I'm also really skinned. I'm working a side job at uh, Richmond Odeon selling popcorn and fucking fizzy drinks to cunts, mm. and I'm spending less money on records, more on my girlfriend, and I- I'm digging back into my collection of Isaac. Hayes, Curtis Mayfield, Marvin Gaye Mm. I played this Archie Bell and the Drolls album a lot round about this time going back to my roots if you will I'm still keeping abreast of the new stuff, you know. I'm listening to the local pirate station, Don FM, and, and getting into Jungle. Mm. And I'm religiously taping Westwood on Capital Radio every Friday. That 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 was a lifeline to me.
2: Yeah, I know we all find uh, Westwood more than just a ridiculous figure nowadays, but a toxic figure. But did you find him?
1: hilarious at the time oh god yeah x amount of hilariousness <laughs> as the man himself would say yeah
0: baby boy
1: <laughs> i'm not a play hater not a play hater all the time yeah. yeah in this country he was the gatekeeper because where else in 1993 could you turn on a radio at a certain time and be guaranteed a chance to hear i don't know the latest lp by brand nubian months before you could get it in the shops or you know like later on in the year the wu-tang clan first time i heard then was on Westwood. One gonna hear him anywhere else. So You know, that's how it is. You know, as a pop crazed youngster, I was used to the idea that in order to listen to some fucking amazing music, I had to sit through a twat talking about it beforehand. (laughs) So, you know, Dave Lee Travis then, Tim Westwood now. Yeah. Anyway, chaps, I do believe it is time to retire to the chart music crap room, riffle through a box or two, and pull out an example of the music press from this very week. And this time, I'm going for the NME. March the sixth, nineteen ninety-three. Shall we leave? Yeah. Let it go, Simon. (laughs) (laughs) On the cover, Mark Gardner of Ride and Tim Burgess of the Charlatans, the chip-pan-headed cherubs of Student Tinder, holding sticks of rock in their mouths as if they were cigars. In the news, well, the main story this week is the post-mortem on the death of the happy Mondays. According to the NME, Sean Ryder has begged the rest of the group to reconsider their decision to split up following the collapse of their 1.7 million deal with EMI. We had a meeting and there was only one man who wanted the band to stay together. Sean claims an unnamed Monday. He apologised for his behaviour but certain band members said no, we've had enough. Further details of the band's disintegration has emerged, which began three weeks ago when Ryder walked out of a band meeting with EMI A&R director Clive Black before the deal was signed, claiming he was going out for a Kentucky Fried Chicken, band code for custard ganatray <laughs> and never returning. When Ryder failed to convince Black in a subsequent phone conversation that he was a reliable investment, the deal was pulled, resulting in band manager Nathan McGough issuing P-45 swore band members and quitting the next day. According to local rumours, Ryder has already smashed up the Monday's office and is currently scouring the city for McGough, brandishing a hunting knife. (laughs) Meanwhile, the rest of the band remained unmoved by appeals from Sean to reconsider. Most of the band have wives, girlfriends, families and mortgages, said the source. The AMI deal offered financial stability, and Sean has just taken all of that
2: away. It's quite sweet imagining the Happy Mondays being bothered about mortgages and stuff like that. You know, they're obviously 12-hour party people, really. <laughs>
1: Meanwhile, Ride is found time to attend court, where he's fined six hundred and fifty quid and banned from driving for eighteen months over drink-drive charges relating to a car crash with a vicar in a larder last July. A vicar in a larder. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if he was snogging his boyfriend at the time. <laughs> he claimed that he has absolutely no disposable income and asked to pay the fine in instalments before leaving with Oriole Leach, the daughter of former Monday's collaborator Donovan, after the court revealed that he has left his wife Trish and their baby. Oh, man, sure. grim times to be Sean Ryder.
2: He says absolutely no disposable income, mm. but is that just because he has disposed his income? <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Very regularly, into the hands of the local drug
1: lord. Yeah,
0: he's liquidised his assets. He's
1: powderised his assets, probably, yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, Apache Indian has had a fun evening at the Kudos nightclub in Watford, which culminated with him taking to the stage with several minders in order to explain to the 2,000-strong audience that he had not been booked to appear at the venue that night, contrary to posters slapped up all around Hertfordshire. Following the inevitable altercation with venue security, a female steward was allegedly struck in the stomach and a photographer claims that he was biffed by Apache's henchman and required ten stitches to a head wound. Apache completely denies the allegations, which are considered to be malicious distortions of the truth, claimed a spokesperson for the arranged marriage hitmaker. Great news for all yous who like to jiggle that joypad. You too are working with computer game giant Sega to produce an interactive Zoo TV CD, revealed the enemy. You're going to be able to mix your own videos to our Songs. There will be a colour box, if you like, of images, and you're going to be able to remix our music for yourself, said Bono the Hedgehog. Sadly, the deal falls through. But when the Mega CD add-on for the Mega Drive hits the UK next month, you'll be able to spend upwards of forty quid on the Make My Video series, where you can remake the videos of excess Criss Cross, CNC Music Factory, and Marky Mark and the Funky
2: Bunch. Now, what really happened was you buy a Mega Drive, and it had the U2 game preloaded onto it, whether you liked it or not.
1: <laughs> Jim Rose. The hippie punk circus leader is well dished chuffed that his current UK tour is in disarray after RSPCA protests and concerned local councils have cancelled his shows in Bristol, Portsmouth and Edinburgh. The whole thing is insane. No one here seems to be getting the feel and message of the show. Everything is done with real humour, he says. The RSPCA's complaints about slug-eating are ironic, given that snails and oysters are a delicacy. Mm. And his mate... Matt the Tube Crowler defended his bile bear act, where he swallows a seven foot tube, pumps a sort of fluids into it, pumps them out again, and invites members of the audience to have a sip, claiming that he's constantly tested for HIV, syphilis, and hepatitis, and he always cancels his act when he has a cold or flu. Hell.
2: did you go and see them? No, I did. Right, a uh, um, Clapham Grand. Um, they, they were always turn up at festivals though, but they, they had their own. Show at Clapham Grand Mm. I mean I saw that stuff you just described going on that the guy regurgitating his stomach fluid I did not drink any of it myself no Mm. the highlight of the show was Mr. Lifto do you know about Mr. Lifto yes so for those who don't know what this guy would do (laughs) he would put a fucking hook like a butcher's hook through his foreskin and then he would lift fucking breeze blocks from you know. With his cop, it was quite, quite remarkable. Mm. They turned up in the X-Files as well. Yes, they did, yeah. It, it was, I guess it was based on Todd Browning's Freaks, that kind of uh, travelling freak show. Mm. And it was them, it was the Jim Rose Circus. Yeah,
0: by the way, uh, in case anyone is uh, is thinking about eating slugs or maybe, you know, as a sort of a food hack to have a, a nice sort of french cuisine d- yeah. just don't <laughs> <laughs> yes. just absolutely don't yeah. it's amazing that we got away with you know oh the short. oh no it's a global pandemic yeah it's, um, it's incredible we got away with it for so long When there were people <laughs> shenanigans like this happening for entertainment
1: vince power of the mean fiddler group who used to book acts for the reading festival until it wound down last year has announced the inaugural phoenix festival which will be held at the long marsden airfield near stratford-upon-avon in mid-july Sonic Youth, Faith No More and the Black Crows have already been confirmed as headliners and the bill would end up taking in the likes of Julian Cope. House of pain, Pop Will Eat Itself, The Disposable Heroes of Hippoprosy, The Young Gods, Living Colour, The Manic Street Preachers, Hole, Pulp. Gil Scott Heron, Gangstar with Royos and Donald Bird and Sheep on Drugs hey. all spread across four stages and all for £49 plus 50p booking per person. Did you partake Simon? Yeah I did, it was a weird one Phoenix, it's a sort of festival that
2: Didn't know what it was. Uh, It was Mm. very eclectic, to a fault almost. You know, there were just so many different stages of, you know, there'd be a jazz stage and a hip-hop stage and a techno stage and all this kind of stuff. I guess Mm. it was a bit like... Glastonbury, in that sense, but without any kind of countercultural or any kind of cultural vibe to it. It was just here's all the music that's around, sort of divvied up into little pockets, and you can sort of wander around it. But they got some like, massive headlines. Yeah, but mm. it didn't really know what it was, and I can see why it didn't last. But I liked it because. You know, it was on an airfield, so it was a flat surface, plenty of concrete, mm. and there were hotels nearby, because I hate camping. But mm. they, they managed, I guess, you know, it was basically the, the Mean Fiddler group had that kind of clout, but they managed to get some massive headliners. They had David Bowie, Bob Dylan on headlining. But but mm. also, you know, they also had people like Suede and, and Bjork, who were more of that era. So mm. I, th- I think it was a really underrated festival. Yeah, I miss it. What were the toilets like? They were all right, you know. Some of the things that happened, at um, I, I mean, I was mostly backstage, so I probably would have had the luxury toilets. But mm. um, some things I remember happening there were I had a... A pint of what I hope was water poured over my head by one of Pop Will Eat Itself. Um, right. Uh, I I went in goal yeah, for penalty probably sh- wasn't water then. Exactly. Yeah. Um, oh dear,
0: did it I- rust your uh, your dread beads? <laughs> yeah, probably.
2: <laughs> I went in goal in a penalty shootout against um, the, the cardigans or between the cardigans. Right. And Nina Person scored a goal past me. Possibly I was a little bit distracted by the fact that it was Nina Person <laughs> and my. Friend Emmy Kate Montrose from Kiniki did the most amazing thing. She wasn't looking where she was going, and she bumped into Coolio and knocked him flat on his ass. No
1: <laughs> man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if, if nothing else, Phoenix Festival gave me that
1: memory. <laughs> <laughs> Over in Stateside USA, the enemy reveals that Prince's much-publicized meeting with Morrissey, planned to coincide with last week's Grammys, has been postponed after the latter decided not to attend the ceremony. The enemy reports that a spokesman says Moser is recovering from a bout of flu, but plans to reschedule the chin wag. <laughs>
2: Eight years earlier, that would have blown my mind, you know, eight yeah. years earlier, the idea of Prince meeting Morrissey. But what are they going to talk about? Oh, God. What the fuck? You know, I like singing about sex. Oh, well, I don't. All right, bye then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> God, it'd be like that Guardian thing dining across the divide, wouldn't it? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs>
1: And finally, Salt and Pepper have warned the public that a fake Pepper is currently at large in Virginia Beach, Virginia and is currently trying to obtain a record deal using the rapper's real name, Sandy Denton. So, if you encounter a woman with massive gold trunk earrings on your doorstep and she attempts to encourage you to push it real good, contact the police immediately. (laughs) In the interview section, well, Northern Irish noise nicks sit down with Keith Cameron in Brussels and immediately start banging on about how thick their fan base are. <laughs> fans listen to the likes of Teeth Grinder and say, oh, if only they'd made it a little bit heavier, it would be the same sort of thing as Nine Inch Nails. It's not meant to be that in the first place, moans frontman Andy Cairns. One thing that always disappoints me is that I tend to grant our fans with a of intelligence to realise what we're trying to do. Certain people we used to work with always get digs in now. There's a lot of people with the mentality that your music's got shite because you're on a major. If people think our music has got shite and they genuinely think that, fair enough. But it's nothing to do with being on a major. Punk's got into the hands of the middle classes now. When I saw Huggy Bear for the first time, I thought they were great. But when you start ramming your manifestos down people's throats, it's lost any of the vibrance that the original punk had. There's a fine line between Huggy Bear, Corner Shop, and Bono. Whether you're preaching to the Camden Falcon or to Madison Square Garden, there's not much difference. I feel like Pete Townsend when punk. Came along. Sarah, you were the sort of right age to be supposedly
2: the target audience for Riot Girl. Did it actually reach you at the time?
0: No, no? It, it it didn't actually. Not oh. in the wilds of West Yorkshire on the uh, the windswept <laughs> hockey field. Uh no, no, it didn't <laughs> actually not at all and that's exactly
2: the problem with it for me the the very people that it should have been targeting it didn't because it it was a closed elitist world of people on college campuses university Mm. campuses who could afford to print up you know limited run vinyl singles or fanzines and stuff I agreed with a lot of the sentiments Mm. of what they were doing but it just yeah it used to drive me insane that people thought oh oh well that's feminism sorted Mm. then that's fine you know yeah (laughs) because
1: you know that's done now No, no it fucking isn't oh by the way, therapy with a question mark at the end. Do you say their name like you were Australian?
0: <laughs> with our talk therapy,
2: the question mark at the end was because of um, letter set. They they had uh, right. they were sending out. Demo tapes and they kind of got the spacing wrong between the letters, and there was a big gap at the end. Oh. So they just thought, fuck it, put a question mark on the end to make it look better. <laughs> <laughs> they were all right, therapy. I-, I went away with them to Las Vegas around this time for Melody Maker. Mm. And I, I remember um, going back to the kind of image I had at the time with the massive dreadlocks and, and the leather jacket. You can imagine that the uh, climate in Nevada wasn't necessarily ideal for-, for, and I was wearing shitloads of makeup as well. well. Simon. So Tom Sheehan, the photographer, uh, took us all out to the Sierra Nevada desert to do a photo shoot. You know, and it's proper American desert. You can hear snakes rattling and all that mm. kind of stuff. Um, and everyone else is sort of wearing sensibly, sort of shorts, short sleeve shirts, stuff like that. I'm there, big army boots, black leggings, black knitted, sort of crocheted long jumper <laughs> underneath my black leather jacket, no. with all the makeup and a black headband, big black dreadlocks, and I refused to compromise my look for the weather. I thought. You weather, oh,
1: Simon. You were the original goth in hot weather, weren't you, Simon? Oh, yeah. I
2: was. I fucking was. My, my favorite memory of that trip, though, was that evening. Um, we all went to some kind of cocktail bar on the Strip in Vegas, mm. and there was an Elvis impersonator. Right. And of course for those who don't know, um, Tom Sheehan is a Cockney gentleman who speaks in Cockney rhyming yes. slang. Right. A lot of it, it's it's not the standard rhyming slang. He often makes makes up his own. It's
0: bespoke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So there was this Elvis impersonator with the full kind of jumpsuit and massive flares, and Tom turns to us and says look at that callards and that cunt and we're like what callards and he goes
1: oh yeah i've got it i've got it
0: callard and bowser's yes. trousers <laughs> 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 yeah i remember the the classic tom sheehan ism was uh fucking hell someone spilt beer on if they spilt it on my hinge
1: right, <laughs> right. hinge yeah. and bracket uh, jacket Oh, jacket. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it was packet. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I would have um, pronounced the uh, the question mark. I think the question mark is silent right. in, in therapy. Mm. They were really good mm. fun. I saw them uh, like some years later when I, I think they got back together um, at the electric ballroom, and right. it, it was really great and very loud, and Andy Kens led the crowd in uh, a chant of You Fat Bastard, mm. which was...
1: <laughs> have you ever shagged on acid? Your cunt feels this big, says Leslie Rankin of Silverfish to Sean Patton <coughs> before she can even get the top off her biro. Not brownfish. Not, not brownfish.
0: Brownfish sounds like a, a name that the spin doctors rejected. You know, it was in like the, mm, b- before yeah. they, they adopted that, you know, it was in the shortlist. Yeah, or
1: the name of their
2: roadie. B- 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 it's, oh God. and now now i'm remembering the league of gentlemen film where where Tubbs has a shit and says i've made a little fish a little brown
0: fish
1: after letting that hang in the air she proceeds to coat down the big thing du jour riot girl is all alone a bollocks I'm sick to death of hearing about it. It's not interesting. I feel no affinity with it at all. I don't need a movement to express my opinions. There are plenty of women around who don't have to be part of something, and I don't give a fuck how people see me. I'm not people hating, but I'm not keen on them. Why? They're thick as a shithouse door, most of them. Uh, Silverfish were great,
2: mm. yeah. But that, yeah, I can see why they wouldn't be having any of that Riot Girls stuff
1: awkwardly the enemy have devoted four pages to a riot girl special is it riot girl or riot girl go for it al stretch it out (laughs) (laughs) okay awkwardly the enemy have devoted four pages to a riot girl special Liz Evans spends the first two pages breaking down the history of the movement and interviews Lush and Kim Gordon while Huggy Bear knock out a two-page manifesto with help from Stephen Wells because, hey, you can't entrust this sort of thing to just women. Who do we want to reach? Asked Joe Johnson. We want to reach those brilliant punk rock women who've been worrying about what men think about them and are now cool and sassy fucking punk rock women. But if they're alone and isolated, then they're going to end up like my mother. We've got to make contact. This generation seems to have been convinced that it can't do anything for itself, that it's all been done before. Huggy bears see all around them the indie whores, right Swells, tedious transit band bands who don't want to change their t-shirts, never mind the world, all of them gagging to be interviewed by white, male, middle-class, boring rock hacks for a white, male, middle-class, boring readership. This, in case you were wondering, is not an interview. It's an article written with the band's cooperation. My fee for the article will be donated to the King's Cross Women's Refuge. Bless him. In the centre spread, there's a most unsavoury image of Tim Burgess of the Charlatans and rides Mark Gardner, who are about to embark on a joint headliner tour, sucking on opposite ends of a stick of rock like the dogs in Lady and the Tramp can i stop you there i was really fucked off about
2: this right because this was my idea what yeah because the whole um thing of the um, charlatans and rides going on tour the news of that reached us at melody maker with plenty of notice and when Mm -hmm. we were having an editorial meeting i said well it's obvious you've got to get tim burgess and mark gardner together on the front of melody maker sucking on opposite Mm. ends of a stick of rock because they were both Right. Beautiful boys with luscious lips, mm. and you know it would have looked perfect. It couldn't just be a pink stick of rock; it would have to be one with sort of spiral, swirling patterns around it, so that you can see mm. what it is that they're sucking on. And people just looked at me and said, oh, "Ah, no." Nah. And I said, "Well, if you don't do it, NME will." Basically, like Alan Partridge, where he sort of, you know, Partridge is going on about uh, monkey tennis and <laughs> inner city sumo, you know, presented by Chaz and Dave, or whatever. If you don't do it, Sky will. And Tony Hayes goes, "Well, I'll, I'll live with that." So that that was the kind of you're know, God, it's like this is oh, fuck obviously a brilliant front cover and it was a front cover that never happened and then NME do it Aww. and they don't even have the balls to put it on the front they just have them sucking separate sticks of rock on the front although they do have the double suck on the center pages but yeah mm. ah, still bitter yeah anyway did you ram a big
1: cheese on a fork into your <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah
2: yes sm- smell my rock you mother <laughs> <laughs>
1: We were brought together by a drunken meeting at Reading Festival, and it was just, ah, great idea, let's tour together, I'll see you there, says Burgess. Both groups have got really strong followings, and both groups are just totally into music, man. When asked about whether the rumours about Ride's impending split are true, Gardner is diplomatic to the point of tedium. Now I know how Michael Jackson feels, he says. It was just a bit of a stressed out year for us all, really. Andy Bell didn't have a nervous breakdown or two as rumoured. He just had a bad joint. Meanwhile, Burgess is on legal instructions not to talk about Rob Collins, his keyboard player who was arrested before Christmas after his mate attempted an armed hold up at a supermarket in Staffordshire while he was sat in the car like Father Ted and Dougal when Tom nipped into the post office. So the rest of the interview isn't worth talking about, really.
2: I went away on a trip with Ride as well. Oh, did you know? Yeah, um, not long after this. Um, this was to, um, to LA. And mm. they're talking. To- Manager in the States was the third Copeland brother. So you've got right. um, Stuart Copeland, you've got Miles Copeland, and you've got this other guy who was a Vietnam vet. And right. he went around his house to do a photo shoot, I think it was. And he got out, first of all, the biggest bag of weeds I've seen in my life. It's like a fucking pillow. <laughs> but then he said, I know, why don't we all do a bit of paintballing in the gardens? And he's up in the Hollywood Hills and <laughs> there's all this fucking undergrowth. And I'm like a bit wary of this, but okay, okay. So, you know, we all get. our our guns and our pellets and and off we go and hide in the bushes and he comes fucking hunting us down and he's obviously got some kind of proper ptsd rage stored up inside him he's just Mm -hmm. he's not fucking showing any mercy he's just because those those pellets if you've been hit by a paintball pellet Mm -hmm. at close range it fucking hurts man we weren't wearing any padded gear like oh my god yeah so that's my main memory of hanging around with riders being shot at by this deranged rambo figure
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's when you need your um customized it's cheap on Drugs motorbike jacket. Mm. Mm.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And your Clint Eastwood waistcoat. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> All of it. <laughs> yeah. And Terry Staunton drops in on the Would I Lie to You hitmakers Charles and Eddie and reveals that even they are falling foul of BBC censorship. The traffic lights blink on and off as Charles and Eddie strut along the sidewalk, recalling their early days in the Big Apple, writes Staunton. They remember the cool sounds their DJ friend Smash would spin down at the Soul Kitchen. They give each other a knowing smile and agree. Yeah, that shit was funky. Suddenly, a middle-aged man with an Oxbridge accent, wearing a set of headphones, yells above the melting pot hustle and bustle of the mean streets. Cut! Cut! This is not America. This is Elstree. This is an afternoon run-through on a BBC soundstage, and the man with the headphones has deemed that shit is not a particularly top-of-the-pops friendly word. Mm. For walking about on the streets of Elstree, was that Walford? Oh, good question, yeah. Single reviews... Sam Steele is in the chair this week and her single of the week is 15 Minutes of Fame by Sheep on Drugs. Hey. The trademark S.O.D. barrage of techno rock and acid-edged mayhem is still as spiky and wicked as Beelzebub's tail, and just as sexily alluring. Zeke, Zeke, Sputnik were never as devilishly clever or absurdly anti-stylish as sheep on drugs, which is why 15 minutes of fame might just be a conservative estimate. Mm. These wolves, and for the last time the name refers to you, not them, are going to worry the moral majority into a frenzy of fear.
2: Yeah, sadly that wasn't the case, but I fucking Mm. love them. I remember the first time I saw them was supporting Daisy Chainsaw at Yulu. Right. And uh, Duncan, the singer, had painted on hair with a sort of painted on centre parting, Mm. uh, a bit like... I don't know, Frank Sidebottom meets Adolf Hitler, right. really. And uh, after about two songs, he was sweating so much under the lights, and this must have been intentional, that it all just streaked down his face and looked really horrific. and t- Oh,
1: like Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was amazing. They were, just, they were such a good band, but yeah, uh, in hindsight, they, they were never going to trouble the charts or the moral majority, I don't think.
1: Dodgy have put out their fourth single, Water Under the Bridge, and still reckons it's going to- to finally put them over the top and into the charts Dodgy have seemingly got it all Sex God Good Looks, their own groovy Carnaby Street Club and they've finally stirred themselves from their ultra cool existence to bring us water under the bridge Armed with swirling post-psychedelic guitars and instantly forgettable melodies, Dodgy stride effortlessly into the abyss of bag air, so cruelly abandoned by the stone roses at the beginning of the last century while a and m's men in suits pop the corks in celebration of the fact that dodgy have finally come up with a pleasant poppet of a song after nearly a year those poor sods at geffin home of the stone cold roses must be pulling their ponytails out in despair i
2: can't really see a stone roses comparison it's a bit of a weird way to review them mm. but okay
1: jamiroquai have pitched up with their second single too young to die and still really really reckons it and him and them jamiroquai got it good remember it because the big voice and even bigger hats are unlikely to go away Jay, the wearer of the woolly t-cozer, has one of the most powerful and impressive soul voices to slide across the dance spectrum in a long while. Jumping full force onto the jazz funk bandwagon, pioneered by the brand new heavies and Galliano, too young as a singing up-tempo follow-up to last year's club hit. When you're gonna learn? And with Jay's tendency to break into a scat at the first opportunity, is as catchy as a cold. On the underground
2: see it all started so positively but it ended Mm. with going to prison
1: for storming the capitol because
2: donald trump told him to
1: yes (laughs) (laughs) but it's a coat down for looking through patient eyes by pm dawn a bland rehash that is only going to excite adventurous michael jackson fans and radio 4 listeners hysteria unknown by Strangelove, reveals that singer Patrick's screwed up childhood his history of alcohol abuse and his deep depressions are the bedrock from which his intensely personal songs are hewn it is also this same depth of feeling that elevates strange love from simple shoegazing to spiritual soul searching Elsewhere, Sidi Bou Saeed are called a girl group. Not you understand that gender is a yardstick by which to measure anything during Steele's review of Twilight Eyes. Die Cheerleader's Saturation EP is proof positive that girls can be as bold and big on guitars as any boy rockers. And the dramatic flutes and sombre strings of Barrington Saint Spectre Morse theme will allow Morse's memory to live on.
2: Dig it, kid. I had a mate who was obsessed with Die Cheerleader and used to go to all their gigs, but he thought right. they were German and they were called Die Cheerleader.
1: <laughs> Seriously. In the album review section this week, Pride of Place is actually a twofer featuring Yeah, 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 Yeah by Bikini Kill on one side and Our Troubled Youth by Huggy Bear on the other. This is the first. Fruits from the so-called Riot Girl movement, ripe for plucking by some adventurous major label subsidiary, says Edwin Ponce. The Riot Girl tag <laughs> has been lazily looped around Bikini Kill's neck in a vague attempt to explain what they do, but it's confusing and deceptive. Bikini Killer, like some hot rod engine that's been stripped down to the basics and filled with sonic true punk. The only really shocking thing about Huggy Bear is how fast they've learned to make records that sound both crudely troubled and flash at the same time. Huggy Bear's side is the most immediate, the one you keep coming back for, but the real way to play this record is with your eyes closed. Just slam it on the turntable, drop that needle and jump back at the surprise that leaps out of the speakers but it's a coat down for practically everything else this week. Frank Black has finally crawled out from under the wreckage of the Pixies to put out his debut solo LP, Frank Black, but Deli for Deli dismisses it as an insubstantial corporate take on indie rock. Deacon Blue have failed to achieve the stadium filling status for which they were once tipped, and they must have cost Columbia a small fortune. So perhaps they were frog marched into a record company office and told by an AR man to get trendy. Why else have they paid credit to cost producers Paul Oakenfold and Steve Osborne to make them sound like the Happy Mondays? Asked John Harris in his review of Whatever You Say, Say Nothing it's empty opportunism why is terminally irritating frontman ricky ross decided to start wearing stupid shades and ill-fitting rock star togs that make him look like someone in a bono look-alike parade bollocks on all counts really this is lucky to scrape a three out of ten Oh, it's a bad time for the 80s bands isn't it <laughs> Are you going to go my way, asks Lenny Kravitz on the title track of his third album. Fuck off, am I, replies Stephen Dalton, who calls it the sound of Kravitz shagging an elegantly dressed Corpse. He's constructed an entire career from second hand Leninism, third hand Hedrickism, and stinking 10th hand hippieism. Cutting his cloth from the Emperor's old clothes, he's stitched together this theme park boutique of trouser rock. Oh, sorry, Callard rock, if you will. <laughs> Fashionably crumpled, worn in the right places, but utterly empty. True Kravitz devotees, earhead-style vultures, Notting Hill hippies and music-biz twats will keep the faith because he still provides them with a solid get-out clause for their reactionary tastes, reducing the era they blindly idolise to a safe retro fashion spread draped in hollow peace and love posers. It was easy to hate Wendy James, champion of Barbie feminism, when she fronted corporate terrorist transvision vamp. It was easy to dismiss her as the gherkin in the great hamburger of art. She didn't like clothes, but she liked screaming about the revolution. She was a complete prat. But Wendy wrote to Santa, a.k.a. Elvis Costello, in the summer of 1991, and he wrote her an LP. Simple, eh? And now everyone will say that there's far more to her than meets the eye, that she has things to say. Right, Sean Patton of Wendy James's debut solo LP, now ain't the time for your tears. Ultimately, James has made an LP which is fairly proficient, but more importantly, an LP which is dull. It's all about Wendy and her world, which is not enough for ten songs. Now ain't the time proves one thing beyond doubt. Elvis Costello has a sense of humour, for that is the only excuse one can make for this sniffle of an album. In the gig guide, well, David could have seen Soho at the Brixton Fridge, cheered on his fellow MM MM-hack Chris Roberts fronting Catwalk at the Borderline. I was there. Terminal Cheesecake at the Islington Powerhouse, Radiohead at the Underworld, Eric Clapton at the Albert Hall, Daisy Chainsaw at Camden Palace. I was there too. And Dumpy's rusty nuts at the Woolwich Tram Shed, but probably didn't. Taylor could have seen the Hollies at Wolverhampton Grand Theatre, the Steve Gibbons band again at Birmingham Breedham Bar, Panic Beach at Dudley JB's, or the uncontrollable noise explosion at the Mitre in Stowbridge, all dependent on him recovering from Nigel Kennedy's two-night stint at Birmingham Ronnie Scott's. <laughs> Sarah could have seen Radiohead at Leeds Duchess of York, Rudimentary Peni also at the Duchess of York, Radical Dance Faction at Sheffield Hallamshire Hotel, Senseless Things at Sheffield Uni, or join the Proto-Welladads for the Mod Fathers show at the Leeds Town and Country Club. Al could have knocked back the bile bear at the Jim Rose Circus sideshow at Nottingham Trent Polair, Alice in Chains at Roxeter, and wound up the week checking out spare parts at Loughborough's The Swan in the Rushes. Neil could have seen Sultans of Ping at Covune. Wall of Sleep at Coventry General Wolf, although probably didn't because the lead singer threatened to glass him once, yeah. and absolutely fuck all else. While Simon could have seen the Indigo Girls at Bristol Fleece and Firkin, Climax Blues Band at Newport Kings Hotel, Senseless Things at Bristol Unair, or Tamsin Archer at Cardiff St David's Hall.
2: I like how you've uh, expanded the radius of, of, my, I have to, of, of my local patch to include Bristol, because that's what it was fucking like. Nothing happens in Wales.
1: Yeah. In the letters page, wow, Sean Pattenden has been entrusted with angst this week, and the main topic of conversation is a response to a letter a fortnight ago from Terence T. Simmons from Birmingham, who trotted out the line about the white working class being edged out by ethnic minorities and the gays. I'm working class, left school at 16, went into manual work. I I am now unemployed, but in no way do I blame people of different ethnic origins or have a different sexuality than me for my hard life in the real world, writes Working Class and Proud from Farnborough. The people who are to blame for the shit we live in are the politicians and ruling class who promote racism and homophobia to divide and rule us. These dickheads need bigoted people like Simmons to keep them in power. So Simmons, just fuck off! (laughs) Middle-class anti fascist from Stockport, however, has a somewhat different point of view. Get real Terrence Simmons, you working-class dickhead. Why does the enemy continue to follow the sad old oi, Gary Bushel, pro-working-class line? Fact! The working class is the most reactionary socio-economic group in Europe. Real radical social change has always been inspired by the radical intelligentsia. And if you're talking music, most of the decent radical songwriters of the last 15 years went to public school. Shane McGowan, Joe Strummer, Brett Anderson, he Chris out of the Redskins to name but a few, Simon.
2: Brett didn't go to public school. No, that's no, a really weird thing to say. He looks
1: no. like he did, though. And that's the main thing. Oh, Christ. If you right. go around slapping your own arse, mate, people are going to assume that you went there. <laughs> For fuck's sake. When we fight Nazis on the streets, we're fighting the working class. Yes, you Terrence, you thick homophobe. When we argue against stall brains in pubs, we're arguing with the working class. Let's have an intelligence qualification for the vote, say, three A-levels and at least one swate single. (laughs) Then the mass of sun-reading, bigoted, brain-dead sheep who have kept the Tories in power for the last 13 years wouldn't be able to fester drunkenly over the destruction of everything decent and worthwhile in this country terence i went to public school on a scholarship no fees and i'm fucking proud of it most of my friends and their parents are professionals it's called intelligence you sad reactionary oik and i live in the real world as much as you do matey (laughs) a big black pair of gay Doc martins are going Pro bashing in Birmingham soon.
2: Fucking hell. Everybody in this debate seems just lovely, don't they? I know. What about the music, oh, man. man? I do want to know where I can buy a big black pair of gay Dr. Martins though. Yeah. Please,
1: yeah. Music wise, as with the rest of this issue, Huggy Bear feature heavily. Let me set the scene, writes Neil from Leeds. Here I am, sitting all on my lonesome on Friday night. Until tonight, I was a fairly average, normal, everyday kind of guy. Tonight, things changed. I watched the word. I saw the huggy revolution before now I'd heard of Huggy Bear not knowing what they sounded like but tonight they definitely meant something and started something special and when they started shouting about the really shitty sexist piece about the two American bimbos the Barbie Twins it really hit me for once I agreed with the words crowd be they members of Huggy Bear or whatever be with us or against us it's up to you God do you remember that bit no They'd just done a piece about the Barbie twins, and then Huggy Bear started shouting at Terry Christian, and he tried to calm it down. And uh, Henry Rollins just sat there, not knowing what the fuck was going on. Really,
2: my main memory of Huggy Bear on the word is that it was reported on by members of Melody Maker who gone along as sort of cheerleaders for the whole Riot Girl thing. Right, girl. Yeah, right, girl. Oh
1: no, that's that's a bit too dexter It's a
2: bit too Roy Orbison, girl. Yeah,
1: yes. um,
2: <laughs> the, the the Riot G contingent at Melody Maker. <laughs> <laughs> were furious that the Channel 4 um, staff had made them take their coats off, that they couldn't go in the studio audience with their coats on. Oh. This was their big rallying cry. They made us take off our coat, you know, as if that was the worst thing that ever happened to them. But they anyone. felt the benefit afterwards. They felt the benefit, exactly. Channel 4 were just looking out for them, really.
1: Yeah. yeah. Gavin from Haywood's Heath, however, believes that Huggy Bear's ticket pricing structure is just another form of sexism. Whilst visiting a record emporium in Brighton, I noticed a flyer for the Huggy Bear gig at the Brighton Richmond. I quickly looked to see how much the tickets were, and much to my surprise, I noted that for unemployed and students, this much-hyped band could be seen for a mere £3. Then I noticed that this reduction included girls! Two exclamation marks. In other words, if you're not a student, unemployed or female, you have to pay 50p more to get in. Just what in the hell are Huggy Bear trying to achieve with this action? Before you dismiss me as a chauvinist pig, I am very much in favour of equal rights. But to openly distinguish between the sexes in this way amounts to blatant sexism in the extreme. If Huggy Bear want to change people's attitudes to women's rights, society then they are not going to do it by suppressing men's
2: it's interesting isn't it that uh, there is some kind of horseshoe effect at play Mm. in terms of the interaction between sexism and pricing at music events because on the one hand you've got those sleazy nightclubs that uh, you know let women in for free yes and then uh, right the other side of the horseshoe you've got Huggy Bear, who are are the opposite of that, but are also Mm. letting women in really cheap.
1: Maybe Huggy Bear should have offered free entry to all men who turned up to the venue in really tight shorts (laughs) and give them a complimentary glass of fizz. (laughs) Gavin of Leicester was very excited to see his hometown featuring in the pages of the NME for the first time since the days of show Waddy Air, thanks to a recent interview with Corner Shop. The whole corner shop explosion is so important to not only Leicester, but Britain. The challenging of society's stereotypes and music's traditionalism is what this shithole of a country needs. The very fact that they can't play their instruments only adds to the excitement. Cornershop will, over a period of time, develop into an awesomely powerful band, and disbelievers will repent. Bands like them and, fucking hell, Huggy Bear again, will, in years to come, be cited as a major influence upon the music and attitudes of their time. The media attention is very much justified as the threat of right-wing activism is more rife than ever before. And those who make a formal stand against fascists and general ignorance deserve praise. Ignorance is Britain's downfall. 14 years of conservative rule. Why can't people wake up? No oh, different times, everyone.
2: I agree with one sentiment in that letter, which is the very fact that they can't play their instruments only adds to the excitement. Mm. Because I, I remember at Melody Maker, some of the uh, people who really disparaged Riot Girl saying, well, the problem with these bands like Huggy Bear is they can't play their instruments. No. As if, you know, that was it. That was just the end. You know, nothing further need be said. Mm. And, you know, the same with Corner Shop. The fact is, those bands could play their instruments enough to make that record. And if you find that record exciting, then it, yeah. it doesn't need any more technique than that. It doesn't need somebody that's able to play some kind of stupid fucking twiddly guitar
1: solo. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, what, what do you want them to do? Use samplers and that. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. The other news story that has agitated the readership is suede appearing at the Brit Awards, even though they weren't nominated for anything. It is somewhat refreshing to witness a band who refuse to put principles before selling their souls for fame and fortune. This is no doubt why the enemy of so readily embraced swayed to its heaving bosom, says Craig from Ulverston. But it was rather worrying to watch the said foursome perform Animal Night Rate. Yes, that's what he wrote. Animal Night Rate at the Brit Awards. I can't help believing that if Mr. Anderson and colleagues told the Brits organisers that if they wanted the band on the show so badly, they should have voted for them originally. Better, is it not, to be loved truly by one person than handicapped by a couple of dozen you hate? No respect for their vacuous nominations indeed. (laughs) Carl Essendor from London, who appears to be a regular contributor to angst of late, is less florid. Dear WEA, withering establishment artists, think about it kids, and British chairman Rob Dickens, why are you inciting your own murder? I would like to nail your testicles to your bedroom ceiling and test... Kitchen knives on your stupid faces. Perhaps when a few pints of blood have congealed on the carpet, you'll stop spewing smug bullshit. Out of 48 nominations, how dare you not include suede? How dare you kick us in the teeth with your sterile, average nominations? Enjoy your nightmares, spit out your artists' ass hairs, and change your underwear.
2: Uh, been listening to the the first wu-tang clan album haven't they ah fucking ah fucking sew your asshole clothes and keep feeding you and feeding you
1: (laughs) (laughs) and colt rushbridge and nichols of hailsham write to inform us that the letters brett anderson of suede can be rearranged to spell sad nose of utter bender i just thought you might like to know that 55 pages 70p i never knew there was so much fucking huggy bear in it (laughs) so what else was on telly this day well bbc one kicks off at 6 a.m with business breakfast followed by two and a bit hours of bbc breakfast news After Kilroy starts an argument, it's a quarter of an hour of Ross King doing some sort of quiz. Then it's play days and good morning with Anne and Nick. Pebble Mill, no longer at one but at a quarter past noon, is next, followed by regional news in your area, The News, a repeat of Yesterday's Neighbours and the quiz show First Letter First, the short-lived wordy game show, hosted by Don McLean. No, not that one. Mm. After the 1981 TV movie, Isabel's Choice, about a secretary who has to choose between marrying her retiring boss or continuing her career with the new one, it's really Rupert, Melvin, and Maureen's Musicograms, Jack and Ore, The New Yogi Bear Show, The Hotel for Puppet series Dizzy Heights, Newsround, and Blue Peter. Then it's Neighbours, The 6 O'Clock News, and Regional News in Your Area. BBC Two commences at 6.45am with a triple bill of Open university, then dips into BBC One's feed of breakfast news for a quarter of an hour, and then it's 45 minutes of yesterday's red-hot thrill ride at the Houses of Parliament in Westminster. At 9am, Daytime on 2 kicks in with schools programmes, Thunderbirds, more schools programmes, The Adventures of Spot, Brum, Dilly the Dinosaur and more schools programmes. Then it's you and me then the welfare rights magazine show advice shop the news the small business show i could do that the documentary some of our airmen are no longer missing about the work of the air force recovery unit now they recover bodies of pilots lost during world war Two. then it's from the edge the magazine show for the disabled Food and Drink makes Rabbit with Prunes, and they're an hour into Kenny Rogers as the Gambler, the 1980 TV film which stars Kenny Rogers as the Gambler. (laughs) ITV is a 24-hour concern now, so we'll begin at 6am with 3.5 hours of GMTV, followed by the British version of Jeopardy. Then it's regional news in your area, the time, the place, this morning, and Riddler's on the road. After the news and regional news in your area, it's Home and Away, A Country Practice, the third quarterfiner of the Wicks British Snooker Open in Darby. More news and regional news in your area, Blockbusters, Where's Waller, Mike and Angelo, Tiny Toons Adventures, a repeat of this afternoon's Home and Away, the news at 5.40, regional news in your area, and they've just started Emmerdale. Channel 4 drops in on Sesame Street at 10 to 6. Then it's Dennis, America's piss poor attempt to rip off Dennis the Menace that can fuck right off. After two hours of the big breakfast, it's a game show you bet your life. Then it's two and a half hours of school's programs that Simon already knew about due to his computer. <laughs> After the Parliament programme, Sesame Street, and the Australian kids show Liftoff, it's the 1938 British comedy film Sailing Along. Then some artists saw as a goz at Hans Memlin St. John altarpiece in Masterworks, followed by Food File and Countdown. Spike Lee and Malcolm X's wife and daughter are the guests on the Oprah Winfrey show because the film debuts tomorrow in the UK. Then it's the magic roundabout, followed by the word access or areas. And then Tony Daly of Aston Villa batters a child 5-0 at striker on the SNES in Games Master. And they've just started Channel 4 News. Me dears, what is jumping out from you from that schedule?
2: Malcolm X getting followed by the magic roundabout. That is a yes. beautiful <laughs> juxtaposition. Yes.
0: Also,
2: <laughs> yes. Oh, Kenny Rogers, yes. the gambler. They should have made yes. a, a follow-up film about islands in the stream, in which he's, he's just an island, just sort of sits there. Yeah, That's it, nothing happens.
1: <laughs> or Kenny Rogers bombing about in a car and jumping the lights, called Kenny Rogers as the Amber Gambler. Oh, right, right, Well, me dears, I do believe that a table of sorts has been laid, and we're going to tuck into a feast of 1993 in the next episode of Chart Music. So, all that remains for me to say is thank you, Sarah B. In a bit. God bless you, Simon Price. See you later. My name's Al Needham. Stay pop crazed. Chart Music.